I'd like to share our scripture, and I will let you stay seated because it is long, but it is Psalm 71, and my Bible tells me that this is a psalm for old age, for those of you who have my color hair. We're not old. That's right. I love Justin. Psalm 71. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge, to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens, you who have done great things. Who is like you, God? Though you may have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me, have been put to shame and confusion. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious God, we are grateful for your word. Father, as we consider our own lives next to the words of the psalmists, words that you inspired, I pray that they would be both a window 
and a mirror. God, would you use your word to challenge the way that we view our lives and view this world, view the gift of the life that you have given each of us. God, and use your word to challenge us. Make us aware of the ways, the places that we have put hope other than you. May it be for us living and active. God, do the work that you need to in each of our hearts. Pray that as I open my mouth and speak, it's not my words that are heard, but yours. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. By the power of your Holy Spirit, for our good and for your glory, for the benefit of this world around us. Amen. There are a couple of things that I want to invite us to uh, consider right at the very beginning. And, and the first is, in your life, what is it that is the source of, of comfort and security for you? Is it financial? Is it uh, the home in which you live? Is it family? Uh, it could be any, any number of things. Is it relationship? But what is the source of, of comfort and security for you in your life? What is it that you tend to gravitate to or to think of or to cling to um, when life seems to be challenging or, or, or even seems to be falling apart? So, so I, I want that to just kind of undergird the way that we approach uh, this scripture today because this is different in many ways from a lot of the psalms that we have read uh, this summer over the course of this uh, series, Summer in, in the Psalms. And if you're just joining us, uh, then, then we have not uh, at this point gone you know, from Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 71 uh, at this point in the summer. That would be impossible, but we have uh, allowed at, at God's leading um, the Holy Spirit to, to just elevate some psalms for us that over over the course of um, the, these weeks of summer that, that we just felt like um, were important for us and, and invited us into the way that we ought to pray, the way that we ought to consider our lives and consider um, the faithfulness of God. And, and this psalm is um, absolutely lives into that. So with that in mind, this, this kind of question of in, in what do you place your hope and, and your confidence? What is the source of security for you in your life? Just kind of leave that there. And, and the next thing that I want to invite us to consider, and this is really what makes this psalm different in many ways from uh, psalms that we have, have read. The tone of this is quite different. Right, many scholars believe that this psalm is attributed to David, even though it does not, uh, like some of the other psalms which David uh, wrote, even though it does not say at the beginning, a psalm of David, um, and, and I think whether or not this is a psalm of David or, or whether this is the psalm of just someone who has sought to walk faithfully with the Lord, that it, it doesn't take away, it doesn't add to or take away one, uh, one way or the other how we read this psalm. Because if you were to elevate anyone um, that we know of in Scripture that, uh, that, that seeks and, and sought to be faithful to the call of God on their lives, it could be Abraham, it could be uh, David, it could be uh, Joseph, it could be Paul, it could be Mary, it could be any one of the other disciples, these people who have sought to live faithfully into the call that God had on their lives. One
one thing that they all have in common, uh, Moses, I mean, just you, we could continue to name people, the prophets, Jeremiah. One of the things that they all have in common is that they experience the power of God's faithfulness in very real ways, and, and part of the way that they experience that and the reason that they experience that is through the trials that they faced. And it is clear at, at the hand of this psalmist that one of the things that was a reality of their life was trial and hardship. And here now, we, we have this psalmist, uh, be it David or someone else, near the end of their life kind of reflecting um, on, on God's faithfulness and, and still finding themselves in trouble. So the first thing that this kind of tells us is that a life of, of seeking to follow Jesus, a life of seeking to live um, into the call that God has on your life as, as like living into what it means to be one of his children does not exempt us from difficulty. It does not mean that we will not face hardship. If anything, it means that we can guarantee that there will be difficulty and hardship. And, and that is true of everyone in this world. None of us are exempt from that because we live in a broken world. We live in a world in which sin continues to have bearing on the state of this world. And the promise and the hope that we have, as I said earlier, is that there is one who is sovereign. There is one who is seated on the throne, and the trials and the troubles of this world will not take him off of that throne. And he is making all things new. But for the time being, we live in the reality of the brokenness of this world. And even in a life spent trying to follow and honor God in the way that we live our lives, we are going to face trial and hardship. Right? It's one of the things that's apparent in this psalm. So if, if this indeed is, is a psalm of, of someone who is, is um, near or, or nearing the end of, of their life, it, it kind of begs the question for us of, of the way that we, we value and, and honor aging in, in our culture. Now, now, there are other cultures in the world um, that honor the aged unbelievably well. Like, like the, the entire community and, and culture is kind of centered around how do we honor those who have gone before us? How do we honor those who are a generation or two ahead of us? And how can we learn from them? And how, how can we care for them well? It is something that we have a very difficult time doing in this culture if we are honest with ourselves. And, and part of the reason for that, and, and I don't believe it's that we, we don't want to. I don't, I don't believe that it's that we don't want to care for and honor um, the, the aged and the aging well. I, I believe that it's that we, um, this culture does not really create space for it. Because what our culture um, values is, uh, is not necessarily wisdom and experience. Our culture values pace and energy and ingenuity. Uh, and, and we see it oftentimes in, in the workplace. Someone has, has devoted uh, years, maybe even decades, to a company or to an organization. And, and in many ways, you could trace the culture and the success of that organization, organization to the work of, of that individual or, or to the work of, of a group of people who are now uh, further along in years. And what often tends to happen is not that that person is celebrated and honored, but eventually they are pushed out for those who are young and those who think quickly and act quickly. And, and right or wrong, this is just where we find that, that culture is, is kind of dictating the rhythm of life uh, for us. And here's one of the things that I'm grateful for. 
I believe one of the greatest gifts that I've been given in this life and one of the greatest gifts that my family has been given is to be a part of a church that is a generational church. Um, several years ago, we, we celebrated as a church 150 years, and you don't just like trip into 150 years. You don't arrive to be 150 years old as a church without a couple of things. One, absolutely the faithfulness of God and the, and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus to be the head of the church. But the second thing is the faithfulness of people to continue to follow Jesus when it gets difficult. Because imagine what we have faced as a church over 150 years. Imagine what we have had to work through as a church. Imagine what, what those who, who were leaders in the church, the decisions that had to be made, the prayers that were prayed. Imagine over the course of 150 years all that this church has faced. And I am incredibly grateful to be a part of a church in which generations are represented. I have a picture uh, in my office, and it pops up from time to time on uh, social media. But I have a picture in my office, and it's actually it's during Crossroads, and it's in worship. And I was standing in the back uh, worshiping before it was time for me to, uh, to come up and preach. And I'm standing there, and, and there's an elderly uh, gentleman, and his name uh, Sam. Uh, and, and Sam um, was standing next to me, and his arm was around me. And I, listen, I am not tall, um, but Sam made me look like a giant. Um, and, and so I was standing next to Sam, and he's, you know, this little guy next, standing, you know, next to me, and, and he, he has his arm around me. And the context of that is that the worship team was up here, and we were singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it's just, you know, there, there are a handful of those songs, that, those old hymns, that it doesn't, it doesn't matter we just kind of all know them. And, and so it's one of those that the church is just singing out, and, and I'm, I'm just enjoying that moment, and I feel this hand on my shoulder, and, and I look next to me, and it's Sam. And he's just, God, he's weeping as he's singing the song. And I'm thinking, man, that, that is a guy who knows something about the faithfulness of God. That is a guy who has lived a life in which he can tell us something about God's faithfulness. And I have another picture um, sitting upstairs in my office, and, and Luke Edwards, who um, was, our, was our, our, our first uh, worship leader here in Crossroads when he was a student at App, and um, has gone on into, now he's working um, on the conference level, challenging churches to think of new ways that they can engage with the world around them, and just unbelievably faithful guy, doing amazing uh, work. But I have this picture, uh, Luke and I were sitting in, in my office um, chatting, probably planning for worship, and Sam just comes wandering in, and Sam sits down, and, and like you didn't, it didn't matter what we were talking about, because when Sam had the floor, you just listened, just listened to, to the things that Sam had to say, and I have this picture of Luke just leaning in, listening to Sam. And, and there are a number of men like that who, who I can look to, Buck Robbins is another, um, uh, his wife, May, is, is, still comes and volunteers here um, early um, each week. And, and Buck grew up in this church. And, and Buck's testimony and his story is that he grew up without a father, and it was the men in this church who, who taught him about faith. It was the men who, in this church who taught him how to hunt and fish, the men in this church who, who played catch with him and who taught him how to play ball. And, and as I came along as youth director, Buck was one of those people that always worked to make sure that the youth were valued in this church. And he would do whatever it took to make sure that, they, that that was the case. 
Uh, and when he, when he passed away, when it was time uh, for his celebration of life, uh, the youth were on, we were on a, a mission trip in, in Washington, D.C., and, and we kind of posed this, hey, um, what would it be like if we left in time to get back for, for Buck's funeral? Um, and it meant we had to leave D.C. at some, like, I was like 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, just an ungodly hour after a week of serving in inner city D.C. And they were all like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get on the road so that we can go back and, and honor. And, and, and some of them said this without even knowing it, but the ones who knew him knew how important that was. Um, I, I hope and pray that you're aware of the fact that we have people in our body, in this church family, who know something about the faithfulness of God. I hope that you have people like that in your own life that you can point to and say, I'm so thankful for, for this person who, who is a generation or two of, ahead of me and, and for the ways that I've been able to watch them live faithfully. And, and, and so here's where we go back to that first question. What is it that you, are, are, you cling to? What is it that you are building as the source of security and hope and comfort in your life when life is hard? Is yours a life in which the legacy will be that people will look to you and say, that is a life spent trying to be faithful to God, and I believe there's something I can learn from that? Or is it a life in which you just continue to chase these empty promises that the world throws at you, only to continue to come up short? Because that's, that's what culture, that's what this world wants us to believe, that that. Life deserves to be lived free from pain, free from discomfort. And yet there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that that should be true for those who give their lives to follow the Lord. So there are a couple of things I want us to consider here. The first we've already said is that a life of faithfulness, a life spent following Jesus, a life spent seeking to honor God is not a promise of the absence of challenge. It's not a life in which we can hope that there will be no turmoil. Rather, it is a life in which in the midst of the challenges and in the midst of the turmoil, we find that we have something to cling to. Now, if in fact this is a psalm of David, if you were to just flip back two psalms to Psalm 69, which we read also in this uh, series, listen to the language at the beginning of Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Listen to the desperation in that language, the desperation in the words of David in that psalm. And then listen to the difference of the words here in Psalm 71. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. 
Do you notice the difference in language? Even, even kind of the, the metaphor or the, the, the visual picture that's painted in Psalm 69 is one of desperation. The sinking waters, the, the barely being able to hold your head up enough to catch a breath, much less to cry out to God. That psalm comes out of a desperate moment in the life of David. This psalm comes from a place where the psalmist or, or David, whoever it may be, is, is yes, in need of help is in need of God intervening, and yet there's something different about the language here because the first thing that is stated is not the desperate nature of the situation. The first thing that is stated, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. The first thing is that, that is stated in this psalm is the place of security in the midst of difficulty. And for this psalmist, it is almost as if he is reminding himself, God, it's in you I've taken refuge. Don't let me be put to shame. As you have always done, continue to make good on your promise to be with me, to protect me, to shield me, to comfort me, because it's in you I place my hope. Now, sometimes we, we get to that point, but it's after we have exhausted all other options. Sometimes we get to that, that point where we are willing to say, okay, God, in you I will put my hope. But oftentimes it is after we have exhausted every other option that we may have as a source of hope and comfort. Which is why it's important for us to wrestle with the question, what is it in your life that is a source of hope and comfort and security? Because it, if, it's, if it is not God ultimately, if it is not God first, then the weakness of that thing will at some point be exposed. It will be proven to be weak. If it is finances, if it is your health, if it is uh, your youth, at some point those things give away. I am uh, 47, and I, I have to count, you know, people ask me, how old are you? And I ask them, what year is it? And I'm 47. <clears throat> In my mind... I am still in my early 20s, and my body, my body is constantly telling me, no, we're not back there anymore. You are not 21 or 22. You, are, you wake up injured now for no reason. And, and I think that's just my body's way of saying, remember, you're getting older. Now, I know, listen, I, I realize, I know that there are some of you who are in here who are 47 who are like, oh, buckle up, like... It's just begun, and I, I humbly, I accept that. I'm just, this is just where I am. What I once trusted as, as being, you know, I mean, because we, all, many of us, there's that point in life where you're like, I, I, I might actually be invincible. I might actually be, that might be my superpower, I'm invincible, nothing can touch me. At some point, that gives away. If you, are, are, if you have worked hard and you have great wealth, if you have inherited great wealth, at some point that will be challenged. The vitality of that and the ability of that to be a source of comfort and life. Relationship. Relationship is not always easy. If that is your source of comfort, what happens when relationship gets to be difficult? What happens when there is strain and stress in the relationship if we have something in our life that is a source of our hope and our comfort that is not God, then the weakness of that thing will eventually be exposed. 
this psalmist is writing as someone who has worked through and walked through those things. And is at this point, at the end of their life, taking a long-range view of their life, taking an assessment of where they are and saying, the one thing that has held true, God has been you. And, and again, if this is David, then think of the great wealth. Think of the kingdom. Think of the great, I mean, yes, David has had some failures in his life, but think of the great successes, the ways that God has blessed David. And, and at this point, David isn't saying, yeah, gosh, I'm so thankful for the palace and I'm thankful for the kingdom and it's been a source of hope uh, for me. Or I'm thankful for the relationships or my sons. David's sons were a source of trouble for him. If this is David, he's saying, you know what, as I survey all of that, God, you have been my refuge. You have been my rock, my fortress. You have been the source of my hope and my strength. What a declaration to make, even in the face of trouble. And so we see that one of the things that, that comes with the reality of, of um, age is experience. This psalmist has experienced some things in his life that has led him to the point where he, where he is able to declare, God, and you have taken refuge. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go further down in verse 5. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. You have been my hope, sovereign Lord. We tend to, to think that with, with age comes wisdom. Now, I, I know that there are many of you uh, in here who have a great deal of wisdom, a great deal more wisdom than I do. But I wonder if it's not just that inherent with age is automatic wisdom. I wonder if it's the experiences that we have that, that grant us wisdom. There, yeah, there is... <laughs> We welcome all, all types here. Um, I, I actually, just side note, I got to, to meet that sweet puppy um, earlier this week. Oh, my gosh, she's adorable. Um, we, we tend to think that with, automatically with age comes wisdom, but, but I don't wonder if that, maybe that's not entirely true. With age comes experience, and the question is how do you steward the experience that you have in such a way that you can learn something from it? Right? Think of some, someone who's been doing carpentry for you know, 10, 20, 30 years. There is a great deal of experience there. And the hope is that that person as a carpenter has learned something over those decades of doing carpentry, learned the right way to do things rather than just repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. Because if that's all you're doing, while you might have experience, it doesn't mean that you've gained any wisdom. Rather, the question is, with the experience that you are having in your life, how are you stewarding that experience in such a way that, that you're learning something from it? And if we consider this in light of our desire and, and seeking to, to follow God faithfully, are you living life in such a way, a life of faith, in which you have to rely on the faithfulness of God? Or, or is God just kind of the, like the catch-all, the safety net if everything else doesn't work out? Because God will allow us to feel 
and experience brokenness. God will allow us to feel and experience the, the weakness and the frailty of those things in which we tend to place our hope so that we are forced to, to face with this, you know, come face to face with this possibility that maybe God is meant to be the source of our hope above everything else. Are you living a life of faith that forces you to rely on the faithfulness of God? So as the psalmist is kind of surveying life, they're able to say, you know what? I have a lot of years, and, and in those years I've gained experience, and, and in that experience I've learned something about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. It has been unwavering. As you consider your life and that in which you are seeking to build your hope and your comfort and your security, is it Christ at the center of it? Is it the faithfulness of God at the center of it? And then trusting that if there are other things that God longs for you to have, God will bless you with those things. But not so that those individual things might be a source of hope, but so that you might trust in the giver of the gift. So that you might be free to steward the gift in such a way that, that puts God on display as the one who is good and the one who is faithful and the one who is worthy, not the gift itself. Think of the, the difference of, for those of you who are parents, the difference of who you are as a parent with child number one and the difference of who you are as a parent with child number three or, or four or whatever. Or, or those of you who have, you know, worked with kids. I, I don't know if this is true, you know, for you as a teacher, like the difference of, you know, for you as a teacher in year one versus like year five. Think of the things that we worry about, you know, as like food hitting the floor. Right, like you, a, a piece of food hits the floor and as the child is going for it to pick it up and grab it and you know it's going to end up in the mouth, like you go to this place where you're like, someone in Africa squashed a mosquito that was ridden with malaria and it got on their boot and then they got into an airport and, and then they, they traveled here and, and they were in a grocery store and I was in that grocery store where I was buying those grapes and, and my shoe got on it, and now there's probably malaria on our floor. And you, like, we all know that grapes absorb malaria. I mean, it, like, like, it's like, no, you know, slow motion. Like, you're going to, like, stop, like, grab the grape before. And then child number three, you're like, yeah, it probably helps to build their immunity. I think it's fine. <laughs> with age comes experience, and hopefully with experience comes wisdom. I've asked this question before, but if you are a follower of Christ and say you've been a follower of Christ for 10 years, are you a 10-year-old follower of Christ or are you a one-year-old follower of Christ 10 times over? Like, are you allowing yourself to be stretched, allowing yourself to be brought into places where you have to rely on the goodness and the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God or is your life of faith one that is calculated? And one that at all costs tries to avoid hardship and discomfort. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Great Omission, says that people can go their entire lives thinking they are Christians without ever being disciples of Jesus. The words that we see here are the words of someone who has surveyed their life and realized there is one thing that has stood 
there is one thing that remains, and it is the faithfulness of God. Wherever you are at this point in your life, as you survey your life, what is it that stands out as being the thing that was faithful? As you look ahead to the life that you are living into and to the life that you are seeking to build, what is it that, that you are, are placing as the source of your hope and your security and your confidence? The psalmist goes on to talk about the trouble that he is facing. Verse 9, do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. He's, he's in, in the, the time of life where he's brought face to face with the, the frailty of life and, and, and with weakness. And, and we're faced with that every day, every hardship Every bit of infirmity, every weakness that we might feel, every disappointment, those things are ultimately a shadow of the fact that this life is temporary. And it is only in Christ that we have the promise and the hope that this is not all there is. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone, for my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him, pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Have you experienced this? Been in a, a place where you, you feel like God has forsaken you and you begin to listen to the language of those around you? And it's those words of doubt that you allow to begin to creep in. Wait, maybe God has forsaken me. Maybe God is not present. Maybe God has forgotten about me. Listen to the response and the answer to that. Because it's very natural for us to begin to allow the opinions and the thoughts of others to dictate and determine both how we view ourselves and how we view the goodness and faithfulness of God. But the psalmist's response is, God, do not be far from me. Come quickly to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. The response of the psalmist is not to get dragged down in doubt and despair because of, of the accusations of others, because of the doubt of others, because of the lack of faith of others. Rather, the response of the psalmist is to say, God, I'm going to praise you more and more because I believe that you are near. I believe that you are my help. I believe that you are good. And friends, the hope that we have is that there is one who was forsaken on our behalf. The hope that we have is that there is one who experienced shame on our behalf. The hope that we have is that there is one who experienced being separated from God because of the sin of humanity on our behalf. The cry of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is a cry that invites us to know that we have in Christ one who knows what it is to be alone, who knows what it is to feel like all hope has lost, who knows what it is to feel like God has turned his back. And the promise that we have is a tomb that is empty, is that, that God was not, had not forsaken him, that God had not left him to rot in the grave, that God instead called him out, and he is very much alive and seated on the throne and interceding on our behalf. Amen? Whatever you are facing in this life, if it is a storm in which you are walking, then know that in Christ we have one who is the God of the storm, 
who is not afraid to chart and tread through uncharted waters, who is not afraid to walk through the, sh the valley of the shadow of death because he is one who has done it and has walked into light on the other side. I don't wonder. One of the things that inhibits us from experiencing the faithfulness of God is our unwillingness to step out in faith and take God at his word. Only you can wrestle with that. Only you can survey your life and, and answer the question, where might that be the case? Where might God be calling you to take a step of faith and you're like, ah, oh, just... I don't know, it's kind of comfortable right here. I know how this works, even if it's broken and, and it's hard. At least I know, I, I know this. I know how this, I know how to live this life. And, and I just wonder if an unwillingness to step out in faith is inhibiting your ability to experience more deeply the faithfulness of God. Friends, God will continue to call, will continue to pursue your heart. My hope and my prayer for you is that this morning you've been invited to consider your life, to consider the ways that God has been faithful. I want to invite you maybe this week to, if you're a journaler, take out your journal and just tell your story to yourself, highlighting the ways that God has been faithful in your life. That's best spent in front of a, a computer, hammer that thing out. What are the ways that God has proven himself faithful to you over and over again? And if you're like, you know what, I, I don't know, because I haven't, I'm just considering this. I'm not even sure about this whole thing. Maybe for you, the first step of faithfulness is saying yes to the life that Jesus is offering you. To realize that you have exhausted all other options. And it's okay that you're tired of running because there is one who has run that race. Maybe that is your first step. Amen.